Well, we're back on TD Green, and as we've been doing here during the uh, COVID-19 quarantine, it's given uh, me a great opportunity to reach out uh, to some folks I work with, some PGA Tour players, and this guy fits both categories. Uh, it is three-time PGA Tour winner John Rollins, whom I work with on PGA Tour Radio. Hey, John, thanks for joining me. Yeah, Kevin. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's it's great to talk to you, a eh? because I, I don't think we've talked since uh, working Hawaii well, <laughs> way back, uh, which seems forever ago, doesn't it? I mean, it seems so long ago. It, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, like you said, it's to think about how long ago that seemed. But you know, honestly, it was just uh, you know just a little over a few months ago we were we were there and, and kind of calling the action. So it's, uh, it's good to hear from you again, though. Yeah, uh, good to hear from you too. You're doing well. You and your family are doing well uh, during this whole COVID thing. Yeah, everybody's uh, you know everybody's still in, in pretty good spirits. We're we're doing pretty well and and really just taking it. Uh, one day at a time, you know, really like really all you can do uh, is just kind of sit back and try to make the most of it. I would say I've, I've become out of this uh, this quarantine or, or shelter in place, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, I feel like I've become a pretty good laundry man. I've become a pretty good gardener now. I've, uh, I've enhanced my skills as a, a wine aficionado. Uh, or connoisseur, whatever words you, you like to choose. And, you know, just learning all sorts of uh, new things around the house and ways to kind of entertain myself. All right. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to dive into that before we talk about golf. Let's talk about wine. So what, what have you learned about wine? What has made you a, a better uh, a wine connoisseur? <laughs> well, I, I, unfortunately, I hate to say it's because I've, I've had to partake in as many bottles as I've had throughout this process. But, uh you know, wine has always been something that my wife and I have enjoyed, enjoyed it a long time. We actually went to Napa Valley on our honeymoon uh, way back in 2005. And, uh, you know, from that point on, has just, you know, we've just really enjoyed it. And uh, it's a lot of fun, especially when you can, you know, when you learn about it and when you can share uh, good or great bottles with friends and family and, and just, you know, it's something that, again, that we really had a passion about for a while now. Uh, you know, and it's, we, we enjoyed a, a nice 2001 Opus one the other day. And it was just sort of one of those times where we just thought it was time to open something nice. You know, that there's times in your cellar that, a wine needs to be open. It needs to be enjoyed before, you know, you potentially lose its, you know, its peak performance. I think that probably could have stayed a little bit longer, but, you know, it was just uh, the, the timing felt right. And, and we wanted to, to really sit back and just kind of enjoy the time here together and at home and, and you know, with one another and, and, uh, and really enjoyed that bottle. But again, it's just something that's a lot of fun. And, and we really, uh, we really loved over the last you know, whatever, 15 years or so that, uh, that we've been married. Well, you know, it's, uh, good for you guys to say, Hey, let's, let's open this up and enjoy it. I, I, my wife and I've done the same. There's been, there was a bottle of red, uh, that we were saving and we're like, well, what are we saving it for? Let's, let's enjoy Like now's the time here. Like we, we, we're not rushed. We don't have to bring it anywhere. We can sit, uh, sip and enjoy it ourselves. And I, I have done the same thing with a couple of bottle of bourbons, uh, that I've been, uh, holding back on, I'm like, you know what, what am I saving this stuff for? Let's live. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You can't take it with you. You know, when you're gone, you can't take it with you. And, you know, as you say, you might as well enjoy it. You, you have those things for a reason. Uh, and, and, you know, it's nice if you, if you have the patience to let it mature and let it develop, you know, the way that it can, you know, that's, that's a pretty cool thing then to be able to, you know, to open it and enjoy it, as you said, but you're exactly right. You have to live, you have to enjoy every moment, uh, you know, as they come, because, I mean, my goodness, look at the situation we're in now. Who would have ever thought we would, we'd all be kind of doing everything from our home uh, as long as we've been doing this. Yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. Yeah, no one no one saw this coming uh, for sure. Um, let's talk about something you probably saw coming on your plane, victories. And you've got three of them. Uh, the Canadian Open in 2002, the BC Open in 2006, and the Reno Tau Open in 2009. Oddly enough, I didn't realize this. You know, your first two victories, not far from where I'm at right now. You, you, you won the BC Open when it was played at Turning Stone Resort in Syracuse and the Canadian Open right when it was in Toronto. Yeah, I never uh, never really thought about that. But, you know, maybe it was destined that we, uh, you know, we met and began to work together. And, you know, it was just in the cards. I just didn't see it back at that time. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, well, it's funny. I, I've never... I've never been, even been to Turning Stone, which sounds stupid. It's only two two hours away, maybe two and a half hours away from me, and, and I've always one of those places where I want to go and play. And I believe was that the first year that it moved there because of the floods uh, in Endicott, New York. Yes. Or, oh, it was okay. So you had never yep. seen seen yep. the golf course before. No, never. You know, we were kind of uh, as players, we were honestly a little concerned that you know they weren't even going to have the tournament at the time because it, you know, like you said, the floods there in Endicott, Enjoy Golf Club, just you know was unplayable. No way to to do that. And and then uh, the, the people at Turning Stone sort of stepped up at the last minute and you know said we can we can host this event and we'd love to had the PGA tour come in and, and really get the exposure that, you know, it gave the resort, uh, you know, for them that week and, and, and put on a, a spectacular tournament. Obviously I'm a little biased of it because I, I came out victorious that year, but uh, I mean, it was a, a beautiful property, great golf course. Uh, you know, it had everybody stayed there on site, the casino and all. So it, it ended up being a, a good week for all. Yeah. And I think Tiger went on to have uh, a skins game there and, Noto Begay uh, held a charity event uh, there also at the Turning Stone uh, Resort. But I'll, I want to go back to your first win at the, at the Canadian Open, and you won that in a playoff. Uh, you beat Neil Lancaster and Justin Leonard in a playoff. And you've been in three playoffs in your career. Um, that was the – I'm going to say this. It sounds terrible, John. <laughs> that was the only win. Um, <laughs> no, but you, you lost no, it. Hey, that's all right. No, no, but what I want you to do is if you can kind of describe to our, our listeners, uh, the amateurs out there who've maybe never been in a playoff, even at their club, what it's like to make it through 72 holes and then go to a, a sudden-death playoff. Well, you know, this was an unusual set of circumstances, I would say, probably more of a funny story related to it than anything else. And, you know, we, we would have to rewind to the 18th hole in regulation. Uh, I had finished well before Neil Lancaster that playing in the final group who was leading going into the, into the final round. I had finished, oh, a good 45 minutes, maybe close, eh, I'd say somewhere in a 45 minute to an hour range ahead of him and had posted 16 under par uh, along with Justin Leonard, who, you know, finished kind of in between uh, Neil Lancaster and myself. And 
I'm just kind of hanging out, waiting. And, and, you know, Neil Lancaster's got a two-shot lead going into the last hole, and he hits it in the middle of the fairway. And I'm sort of standing behind the 18th green, just watching. I mean, I'm, again, my second year on the PGA Tour. I'm like a kid in a candy shop. I've got a chance, you know, I'm thinking I've got a chance to maybe, you never know what'll happen, but, um, you know, it's it's just, you, you don't think when he's in the middle of the fairway, you've got any, any business or any chance of a playoff. Well, he proceeds to hit, hit a poor shot left of the green, dumps it in the bunker, blasts it out, and misses a putt. He makes a terrible double bogey on the last hole and lets Justin Leonard and I end this playoff. And all of a sudden, my, my mind went from, you know, I, I'm two shots back. I'm going to finish, you know, the best finish I've had on the PGA Tour in my career, currently tied for second, to – oh, my God, I'm in a playoff. Where's my caddy and my golf clubs? And, you know, I, I run around the front of the club. He's kind of hanging out there. You know, we're waiting to see what happens. We rush to the tee, haven't really hit any golf balls, haven't done anything, get to the tee. Neil Lancaster walks up on the ATT after signing a scorecard and shakes Justin Leonard in my hand. And while he does that, his comment to us both is, you're welcome, you're welcome. And, you, you know, you, you got to kind of laugh when the guy comes up and does that. still has the humor that Neil Lancaster has there on the 18th hole. And we, we play the 18th in the first uh, sudden death hole, and I hit two shots uh, up on the green, 25 feet or so from uh, for birdie. They both go on uh, and make pars, and then I drain the, the 25-foot birdie putt and, and just, I mean, what a feeling. It, it honestly, Kevin, happened so fast that I really didn't have time to process what was going on. And I, I would have to say at that stage of my career, it's probably a blessing, you know, that, that I was, that it happened that quickly. You know, if I'd have had time to really think about it, who knows what the outcome would have been, but because of the way it, it all transpired and, and unfolded, it, it was just such a cool, a cool experience. Uh, obviously one that I'll never forget, but you know, to me, it's more of a, of a, of a, comedy story behind it with the reaction from Neil Lancaster. So uh, having, uh, having, you know, first of all, it, it, that was at um, Glen Abbey, right? Uh, that was at Angus Glen. Angus Glen. Okay. All right. Uh, the other one, I, cause I was thinking of Glen Abbey where they traditionally held it. There's, and, and there's a lot of Glens and A's and G's <laughs> and A's and all to be yes. confused, but it was Angus Glen. <laughs> um, I remember, I, I, you know what, I, I was supposed to play in the media uh, week that year. They had a media event, and I couldn't make it up to play. Now I wish I had. Um, I remember Steve Weecroft, uh, when Johnny Vegas won several years back at Glen Abbey, Weecroft had it in the bag. I should say had it in the bag. I mean, this is where anything can happen. It was similar to what you're talking about with Neil Lancaster, where he put it in the bunker, and two, and then he bladed one um, over the green into the water, Near the scoreboard, and I just felt so terrible for him because this was going to be a defining moment for Steve Weecroft, and it just it just went away, and it's just how anything can happen, and and you benefited from anything happening um, at at that event. But I wanted to ask, so the following year you made the playoff in the Buick Classic, uh, Jonathan K won. But did it make you less nervous? Did it, like what did having been through a playoff and winning? How did that? Uh, help you handle uh, entering the playoff again? Yeah, I, I think that it definitely helped. Uh, you, you know, that year at Westchester, I, I loved Westchester Country Club, still do. I haven't been up there since the tour stopped playing, but always loved playing there. And, 
you know, just one of those style golf courses that I enjoyed playing. And, and, uh, you know, that year that, uh, Jonathan Kay, as you just said, uh, got me in the playoff. I mean, I, I played some great golf and, uh, in that playoff, I think I was, even though I had already won the, the, the previous year in a playoff, I, I still, I felt much more nervous to be honest in that situation. But again, I think it comes back to, uh, I had more, it was, it was more real time happening. I was, you know, I played well, I was like in the maybe next to last, I can't remember what grouping I was on the final round. So I was really under the, the pressure all day. Uh, and then going into the playoff, it was just a quick sort of turnaround. We signed our cards, you know, JK and I are in the, in the playoff and go back to 18. So, you know, I really felt all of the nerves associated in that moment. Unlike I feel like I did in the Canadian open the, the year before. So not to say that I lost the playoff because I felt more nervous. I mean, Jonathan K. Uh, I remember the play. I hit my tee shot just up the left side in the rough and had to lay up, and he knocked it up, I think, either on the green or just around the green with a pretty easy up and down, and I had to lay up and, and hit a very mediocre wet shot and, and was unable to make birdie, and you know he either chipped it really close or maybe even lagged it really close and, and you know made his birdie that way. So, I mean, he played a, a you know a perfect hole in, in that situation. So, Again, I think the nerves were were a little more intense, or at least I felt them more in that playoff than I did the, the year before. Uh, before we uh, get into broadcasting and, and what's going on now in, in professional golf, um, it, I think we talked about this when we were uh, hanging out, but uh, maybe not. Injuries? Did you experience? I mean, it seems to me every professional golfer experienced some injuries, and uh, it's so tough to maintain all that needs to be maintained to compete and win in the PGA tour. Yeah, no, absolutely. And fortunately, knock on wood for me, I, I've never, uh, never had any, any substantial injuries. I mean, you know, yes, you've had moments where your back is tight or, you know, things associated like that. But, uh, I, I've had one little sold, uh, left shoulder episode that, um, you know, I had to have some treatment done on it and there no surgeries, no, any sort of like medical, extensions that I've needed to receive uh, throughout my career. So I've been very, very fortunate that my body has has held up and has given me the opportunity to play really a, a injury-free career. Now, you, I mean, you're still uh, – have some status uh, on the tour. You can yeah. still play, um, still go to Monday qualifiers and such. So it's kind of – I mean, nobody's playing right now, obviously, but uh, kind of talk about uh, – your playing opportunities you you have, assuming we get back uh, in a month or so here, and uh, how you look at playing opportunities right now. Well, it, you know it's it's a, a a bit unique or different, I guess, uh, in the approach. I mean, it's nobody knows what's going to happen once we get started. When we ever get started again, uh, you know, I think that when that time comes, the fields are going to be stronger than ever because everybody's on the shelf right now. So when these guys get the opportunity to play. You know, tournaments they ordinarily may not play, I think, are really going to see an, an increase or a, a bump in the strength of their fields just because guys are going to want to get back at it. I mean, guys have been sitting at home now for, you know, a couple of months, not with anything to do. And, you know, they're ready to get back into competitive golf as, as we're ready to see competitive golf and, and call competitive golf. But, you know, as far as playing opportunities, I was probably going to play the Dominican Republic before 
things got put on the shelf, uh, maybe having, you know, have an opportunity uh, to go qualify for San Antonio, uh, you know, look down the road, you kind of think maybe John Deere, Barbasol, obviously the, the event uh, at the Reno Tahoe area there that's moved now, I believe, into the Truckee, California area. So, you know, there, there were some, some opportunities that I was looking forward to, trying to keep my game uh, in shape the best I can. But, you know, when this starts back up again, who knows what to expect and, and who knows where the opportunities will fall. I've tried to keep uh, my, my body moving and, and hitting golf balls into a net here at the house. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hitting off some natural turf again. I can be honest with you there, <laughs> seeing the ball roll on the green. But, you know, you just you have to do whatever you can. I mean, you have to adapt. You have to adjust. Uh, and that's what, what really everyone's doing in, in this uh, this time. Well, speaking of adapting and adjusting, um, you've adapted and adjusted to uh, your role as a broadcaster with PGA Tour Live and with PGA Tour Radio. Uh, talk to me how that came about and uh, how you think you're doing. I'll tell you how I, I I'll tell you afterwards when you tell me how you think you're doing. I'll tell you how I think you're doing. <laughs> okay. Well, I can't wait for the criticism. So this is going to be great. But no. uh, you know, anyway. No. I, so. Again, as you said, I'm playing under limited status. I'm playing out of a past champions category, and and uh, you know we we get reshuffled around based on your performance in the tournaments you get to play in, and you know things of that nature that can open a few extra doors. But honestly, after I, I lost my full status in 2000, after the 2014 season, 2015, I still played enough golf, you know, but I didn't play that well. I, I played okay at times, but nothing great still was in that same boat as the past champion. And I've been in that category really ever since. So because of that, you know, with the limited opportunities, I mean, going from a full-time player playing 25 to 28 tournaments a year to now, you know, maybe getting five to seven, you know, maybe eight, if things are good, it's just hard to really say. There's no consistency in scheduling you got to start looking at, okay, well, what other options do I have? What, what do I think I could do? What would I like to do? And, you know, I, I went uh, I went to school, oddly enough, at Virginia Commonwealth University uh, in Richmond, Virginia, to major in mass communications broadcasting. Now, unfortunately, I never got far enough down the line, you know, because I pursued my professional career, but that was my focus. That was kind of what I thought I'd like to do. So, oddly enough, I ended up uh, looking into – PGA Radio, PGA Tour Live, some golf channel thing. I just make some phone calls and I talk to Dave Logue and, you know, mention my, you know, talk, again, talk about my interest in it. And he gave me an opportunity and, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a new perspective for me. Uh, I, I still think that I'm, I'm learning. Uh, and, and, and I think I honestly have a lot still to learn. I, I've enjoyed it. I feel like I do a pretty good job, uh, you know, offering a player perspective. But I do think that I could maybe offer up a little bit more. I, you know, it's been a couple of years now, and I, I think that I still, I'm still kind of learning. I, I think I'm more. I'm walking the the thin line, to be honest with you, on being a player and maybe walking down the fairways with guys, and yet calling the action and maybe calling some players out or calling situations out on the radio. And, and maybe fear or just sort of like hesitation of, well, 
I'm not going to rake that guy over the coals just yet because I may walk down the fairway next week with him, and I don't really want to answer all those questions. <laughs> you know, so that's yeah. that's sort of the juggling act that I think that I'm in right now. But I'm I'm leaning a little bit more towards not really worrying about that, and and really trying to focus when I'm in the when I'm in the studio when I'm calling the, the shots and calling the action of of really giving that player perspective not worrying about what's said and what isn't said and, and just try to deliver the best product I can. But I've enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. Well, I, well said um, all, all the way around there. And I think you do a great job of keeping it simple um, and explaining what the player either was trying to do or was thinking about in a shot because there's it can be so technical um, and all of the, the elements that go into a shot. And I personally enjoy uh, just picking your brain on you know, hey, this is how I, I, you know, from watching players up close doing it and being, you know, uh, whatever, a decent amateur golfer, uh, club golfer, um, on how I would uh, kind of approach things. And I, I always, I, I think you've done a nice job of simplifying those things so the listeners, the golfers, because most people who listen to it are golfers, that they can understand what's going on. Well, I, you know, I appreciate that. I have received a, a great outpouring of support, you know, from other players, from caddies, from friends that I've met through the years, obviously family, friends here at home, you know, people that have listened that, that you know, commend me and say, hey, enjoy the broadcast. You know, you sound great. You're, you're doing a good job, all these things. So that's been really, you know, really great to receive that, that sort of support. And, and I think to touch on that, what you just said, I, I think that really – is a reflection of the type of player that I was. I, I was very simple. I, I, I saw it. I reacted to the shot. You know, there wasn't a lot of technical, mechanical, you know, overthinking, overanalyzing, or any of that sort of stuff. So I, my guess is that's what, you know, translates, you know, on the broadcast is, is really me as a player, very simple. So me as a broadcaster, I can't change, you know, recreate the wheel. I am who I am, and, and that's what I do. How, mu- how many times has uh, our friend Ed McLaughlin hit you up for money for VCU? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, he, he, is, he is great. He has been, you know, awesome for the school. And, and we went, I actually took my wife and daughter uh, last year. We were in Richmond visiting, visiting my family, who all is still there in Richmond area. And, and I took them down to campus. It's changed a trumming, a enormous amount since 1997 or 93 to 97 when I was there. And, you know, I sit back and think, man, I wish I had all of this stuff here when I was in college. I mean, you know, it would have been unbelievable, but he, he's been great for the, for the university and for the campus and really for all the students and all, but I've been pretty fortunate. He's taken it easy on me and uh, just kind of let me do what I do and, and everything. But he and I, we talk, uh, you know, I'm not going to say all the time, but we, we text, quite frequently on, on things, you know, maybe related to the golf team or, or just some things, some events that they're trying to, you know, put together for some alum and, and help raise money, things like that. So he, he hadn't put the full court trust on me yet. I don't know that, uh, did I mention that, like, so I, I knew Ed when he was at Niagara and I used to uh, announce some games and we sat on a committee together. He's a fantastic guy. So I, I kind of threw that question at you, but I'm not sure I even told you that I, I knew Ed. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, no, I, I think it was uh, I think it was the, the either the last time I can't remember what it was, but either you or Ed, one of you guys messaged me and said to say something to the other guy, and that's where I put it together on you know you guys knew each other and you know kind of got the whole background of all that. But yeah, no, that I, I knew you guys. Uh, we're familiar with one another, and, and yeah, but that's all good. Yeah. yeah, great guy. I'm happy for success. Hey, it's final small world. Yeah, it certainly is. Final thing, um, and maybe this might be unfair to do, but uh, a prediction on uh, when we get back to PGA Tour golf, with or without fans. Do you have a prediction for us? Well, I, I do predict that we will get back without fans before fans. I, I do see – and I mean, again, these are my opinions and predictions, but I, I do think that, you know, based on just some kind of rumors and rumblings and all going around in different, you know, areas of the country and all, and trying to get the economy and the, and the world sort of open back up, you know, little by little, I do think that we're going to see sports open back up without fans in the beginning. Um, you know, we're going to see the NBA and, and MLB and, you know, all that sort of stuff kind of come back, uh, come back into play. And, and I think without fans, so golf, I believe, will follow suit. I could be totally off base, but I just, I think that, you know, in an effort, maybe it, it, whether you call it a trial run or not, I don't really know. I mean, a PGA Tour event shouldn't be a trial effort, but I, I do think that they're going to want to get back out and play and give the fans something to follow and to cheer about and, you know, really energize everybody again about being out playing live golf and, and PGA Tour golf especially. So when do I think that will happen? Oh, man, you know, I don't really see it. I don't really see it happening until at least the beginning to middle part of June is my, you know, my earliest guess. I mean, I, I know that technically we're we're looking at potentially the Charles Schwab uh, challenge here in Fort Worth at Colonial, but I, I just, I don't see how the tour is going to have enough time to give the players, to give the sponsor, just to really give the facility the proper time to get things prepared and set up and kind of figure out how they're going to you know, how they're going to navigate these things and, and the different issues that now are going to be confronted to the facilities and the tournaments after this COVID-19 pandemic. So I just, you know, I would think that giving them another good month and a half to almost two months of time to really prepare for all of that and kind of figure it out seems to make, a, you know, make the most sense. But Again, I could be totally off base, but that's sort of my prediction now. Is it's the beginning, the middle part of June. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's headed that way too, and, and hopefully they get all together. Uh, John, I really appreciate your time uh, for joining us on the show. All the best uh, to you and your family, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. Thank you very much. Had a great time, and uh, like I said, look forward to calling some shots with you here soon. All right, we'll be back with more to TD Green coming up here on WGR.